Am I on? Yep. Okay. Oh, welcome to 2021. So I made a little catchphrase for myself for this year, and I try to do that for each year. Helps me kind of stay on track. And uh, you can make up your own, or you can uh, ride along on mine. But here it is. It's pursuing the sun in 2021. So I'm just going to try to remind myself of that each month of this year and uh, so that I can grow and we can grow and you can grow because that's our goal to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially since we're opening. You can open your Bibles to Second Peter. And I've invited you to read through this um, from time to time during the week. It takes eight minutes, 8.9 seconds to read through at my speed, and we read through it together last week, and today we're just going to give kind of an overview of uh, Peter's second letter. So that is what I will attempt to do this morning. It's very different than his first letter. There's some similarities, and the... Uh, Yeah, we'll get into it. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to read for us chapter 1. And then from there, by just giving a brief overview of what we're looking at. The privilege of his letter. Do that, though. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, Peter, Lord. And uh, we know we find him in the Gospels from beginning to end. And his story is like our story. Sometimes he's a misfit. Sometimes he fits perfectly. Sometimes he's showing boldness of faith. Sometimes he's denying he knew you. And Lord, we just want to learn from his experience of walking with you, his knowledge of walking with you. And what he wrote in his letters. We're thankful for the privilege we had to journey through First Peter together. And now we just ask you as we enter into the second letter. Uh, um, you would grow us. That you would teach us. You would help us not to miss your truth each step of the way. Each phrase, each word, each paragraph. Thankful for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he, have get, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, we may participate in the divine glory and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, 
and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in, in, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being unaffected and in, unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make known every and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for we he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all else, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men. Spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's chapter one. We're just going to look at kind of an overview and what I have prepared today. Um, see how far we get. But uh, I wanted to start with just a couple of personal stories about my interaction with Second Peter over the years. So this isn't obviously the first time, and maybe it's not so obvious, but this is not obviously the first time I've read this letter but I've had interaction with it over the years. And I, I know that I've shared this story before, but many of you probably have not heard it. Okay? So I pick a particular verse that I was working on. And usually, if I'm, and why, what I mean by working on is that the Bible tells us that we're to meditate on God's word. And so you take a, either a chapter or a passage or a verse, and you'll be mulling it over. And so on this sorry, this particular day, February 2007, it was a, I like to go for walks. And so this particular day, I was down by Akeley where I used to live, and I was walking down a road where um, it leaves my house, crosses Highway 64, and then goes basically on a kind of a deserted road. It's not very well traveled. And since I was a little boy, I love birds. And so there's, if you are driving along on the road, you'll notice that every once in a while you see this little flock or a flock of these little white birds, especially in the winter. 
and they'll they'll be right along the roadside eating some of the gravel, <clears throat> and then they'll fly up and they're just they're they're white with a little bit of black on their wings. They're sparrows. They're about this size, and um, I just call them winter birds because you don't see them so much in the summer as you do in the winter. And when they fly, they kind of roll. So the flock will like roll over itself. It looks like it's just, it's amazing. It looks like they're just uh, part of the wind. And so on this particular day, I was pondering this introduction where it said, grace and peace be yours in abundance, right? That's part of Peter's introduction to the second letter, right? Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so I was pondering, what is grace and peace in abundance mean? What does it look like? Do I have it? I mean, if I bump into you and I knock you, will grace and peace spill out? And if you have it in abundance, whatever you have in abundance, if you're carrying stuff, somebody bumps into you, whatever you're carrying, whatever you're full of will spill out. So that's the concept I was thinking about. So Peter's writing to these people. And remember, they're scattered throughout the world. They're aliens and strangers. They're kicked out of their homes. They're going through all kinds of trials. And he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it must be something that spills out of us. Or in another way, it's something that you and I encounter as we walk along the journey of life. Where grace and peace will just be ours in abundance. And it will be, in a sense, an unexpected thing. So remember, I love birds. And so I'm walking down the road, right? And unbeknownst to me, these uh, winter sparrows, whatever they're called, if somebody knows the name of them, you can tell me. I'm probably the one bird I don't know the name of. But they came from behind me, and they were rolling on the road. As They fly up. Part of the flock gets up, and then they just kept rolling. And I wound up right in the middle of them. There was probably a hundred on one side and a hundred on the other side. I'd never seen a flock quite that big. And while I'm thinking about this, I'm pondering grace be and peace be yours in abundance. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, God, you must be watching this because this is amazing. This is something I don't, I don't, I had never experienced it before to be in the flock in the middle of it as it rolled past. And then it went up couple hundred yards and it came back and it was like wow grace and peace be yours in abundance by the time i got home i remember specifically amy and kathy being at the kitchen table probably working on homework and i come in and sometimes i can be a little little large little over and and this was one of those times i said do you guys you guys have to realize what i just saw don't let me tell you about this and then Throughout the day and the next week, I kept connecting it with grace and peace be yours in abundance. So pay attention. Look around. Look around in your life. Because if this is a a promise of scripture, which it is, it seems like a little prayer that Peter is praying for the people he's writing to. But it also includes you and me. Where in your life is grace and peace abounding and maybe you're not recognizing it and if you're not recognizing it you're certain not certainly not appreciating it and if you're not appreciating it you're not recognizing it so just ponder that
And then I told this story quite a few times in September, but I didn't tell it to any of you except for my son, Tim, who overheard it at a Bible study we were at. But in September this year, 2020, I was pulling up into my driveway after a long day. I was tired, and, I, and the kitchen light was on in my house. And I looked up, and guess who's in the window of the kitchen? It's my precious wife. And I just sat there for a little while, and I realized when my wife is in the kitchen, it means good things. Either she's cooking something or has cooked something. It means, but simple things in life. It means there's food in the refrigerator. It, mo- it means there's heat in the home. It means that she's there waiting for me to come home at the end of a long day or vice versa. It was just something that struck me. And so I put that down. And so as you go through your Bible, maybe, and you're, you're not going to be able to see this, but here's my second Peter, okay? And in the columns, obviously you can't see it, but in the columns, there's these little spaces. I have little things written down. It might be a date. So I have 2000, February 2007. I'll have December 2020. And so then in this next phrase, this next verse is 1 Peter 1.8. Okay, so we'll leave the grace in abundance. Go to 1 Peter 1.8. But it's connected with some verses on each side of it. For me, it had tremendous impact in the, in the summer of uh, about 2005. I can't quite remember the exact date, but I remember the exact place where I was. I was at Mantrap Lake at the Boy Scout camp that's on Big Mantrap Lake north of Park Rapids. And I was there with my son, CJ, and we had brought some other boys. And I was in charge of uh, a little group of boys that week, help them set up the tent, take them to their, the places they're supposed to be for their drills. And I happened to be wondering on this next section of Scripture, You see, it starts there in verse 3 where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who loved us and, and gave us His glory. And it says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And then in verse 5, For this very reason... Make every effort. And if you notice in chapter 1, when I read through there three times, two times, and then there's one time in chapter 3 where it says make every effort. So those things jump off the page to me when there's, it's repeated. So here it says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then it gives you a list of seven things that you're to add to your faith. So I was sitting on a picnic table after I brought CJ to maybe his archery class or canoe class. And it was a beautiful morning, and I'm sitting on the picnic table in this little clearing in the sunshine, no one else around, and I was pondering these verses. And it says in verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I kept thinking, well, increasing measure, what does that mean? Hmm. Make every effort to add to your faith. 
And if you possess these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. I thought, that's the last thing I want to be as a father, ineffective, unproductive. Last thing I want to be as a husband, ineffective, unproductive. Last thing I want to be as a neighbor, ineffective, unproductive. Last thing I want to be as a Christian, ineffective, unproductive. I better look into this. So it says, if you, in, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so making every effort to add to your faith. So this was a, a, a real impact point in my life there at that particular verse. The next one is in chapter 2. Well, that is, um, I'm sorry, let me see. I mixed my notes up a little bit. Yes, chapter 2. Verse 19 and 20. Chapter 2, 19 and 20. They promised them freedom. Talking about false teachers, okay? They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. And then there's a little phrase in the NIV. There's a hyphen. Then there's a phrase that says, For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world... By knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. So I remember where I was when I wrote the phrase on top of my Bible in this particular section. And it says, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. I don't have time. And this morning is not my purpose to go into details of the things that have mastered me during my 57 short years on the planet. But at different times in my life, I've been mastered by things. Things that were corruption. Things that were evil desires. What he's talking about here. And there's still things in my life that I am not fully surrendered to Christ in every area. I am not complete. I'm not totally where I ought to be. Rooted and grounded and built up in Christ. I'm in process. I'm adding to my faith. I'm pursuing him. I'm trying to remember these things. And I'm trying to apply them to my life. So this little phrase, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Again, it gripped me because this was quite a few years ago when I wrote this down here. And I was thinking about my children. And I was thinking about, well, if something masters me, what happens to the next generation? What happens as they watch me as their model? So if something is gripping me and I'm giving myself into something, and he's talking about in chapter 2, false teachers, all the things that we get distracted and caught up in, in evil desires, I better take this seriously. I better look and see what does this say. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So pursuing to know Jesus is a, is a way to separate ourselves from the corrupting desires of the world. And so I, I drove that stake in the ground in the sense of trying to make this a part of my Christian life. The next one is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. And I have a, a little date written there, 2014. And it asks the question, if this is how it's going to be, how ought 
a person to live. If the world is going to be destroyed in this manner, which Peter just described, how should we then live? So there's two words in the NIV, back to back, the word ought. One word, two times, back to back. And it's the word ought. And the word ought implies, I think about, you know, Sam sitting there with the kids. When you guys stack wood, um, I've been to your wood pile, not lately, but the, the wood is stacked in a certain way. It ought to be stacked this way. Okay? You ought to drive when you're learning to drive. You ought to drive this way. The ought implies something. When you're a student at school, you ought to give the teacher your attention. If you're, if you're on, the, on the court, on the basketball field, on the hockey rink, you ought to pay attention. And if your mom or your dad suggests something to you or commands something to you, you ought to respond. So you see there in verse, chapter 3, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? There's a question there, and it implies that there's a duty, an obligation, and a responsibility. And the sooner you and I can wake up to our duty and our obligation and our responsibility, we'll be asking questions like, is this how I ought to behave? This, is, this the, is this the attitude I ought to have in this situation? And we'll, be very, we'll begin to be more and more aware of our attitude and our actions, of our responses and our motives. How ought we to live? And that's what Peter's asking. And then he answers his own question. You ought to live holy and godly lives. And the reason I have 2014 written down there is because I ran into a book. And this was written long before 2014. But how now shall we live? And it's written by Charles Colson, and it's a book on worldviews, but it, it goes through there and explains Christian worldview, and then it gives story after story of individual people and how they ought to live, because that's how they were living when the Christian worldview began to grip them, walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus, you ought to live a different kind of life than those who don't walk with Jesus. And so that question has been gripping me for years as I read through. So you got verses from chapter 1, verses from chapter 2, verses from chapter 3. And I would just encourage you, this is how I kind of try to study Scripture. I'll read through the section. I'll look for things that repeat themselves. And it's kind of like um, I remember being lectured from my mom or dad. And they said, listen, if I have to tell you twice, you should pay attention. If I have to tell you three times, we don't want to get there. So here's a, here's a phrase, my next one, the last one, for just the overview and the introduction. It's in 2 Peter 3.18. And it says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? You see that? He's closing the letter, and he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Okay, and I have a date written there. It's 5-23-2010. So that's May 23rd in 2010, and the Oak Hills Choir was here singing. And I remember because, and, and Carol's not here this morning, but if she's watching online, she's 
She was part of Oak Hills at that time. Maybe she even helped deciding that this was Oak Hills verse for the year. In 2010. And it was the theme for the student body. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I remember specifically one particular man. His name is Adam Damagala. His, good, his brother is a good friend of mine, Justin Damagala. And I remember Adam gave his testimony on that day. And he was standing like right over here. And he said, this is our theme for the year for our choir. We've been traveling around to different places and states. And we're talking about grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave a little testimony. And that, was, that impacted me. And, and I could see, uh, at that moment, at that time, he, 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 in his pursuit of Christ, in his walk with Christ, I could see the, the grace of God. I could see that he was growing. I could see that he was in purse, pursuit of Christ. So in 2010, I said, you know what? I want some of that. I want more of that in my life. And so as we read through 2 Peter, and as we study through 2 Peter, God's going to bring opportunities to you. He's going to bring opportunities to me. He's going to bring opportunities to us collectively to step up, to, to grab on to and be grabbed onto by one particular passage, by a particular phrase, in a way by the whole book. I was reading um, this week and one person was saying to an older person, you know, I would like to grow closer to God. What do you think I should do? And they said, well, read Second Peter. And then they said, 12 times a day for 30 days. I thought, wow, that, that, somebody add the math up for me. So if it's eight minutes to read through and you read 12 What's that? 96 minutes. But so what the person was expecting some other answer. But the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in Peter, the word knowledge six times in three chapters. I think it's four times at least in the first chapter. And it says we participate in the knowledge of God, the precious promises of God through our knowledge of God. And if in 2021, we're going to pursue the son in 21, then we need to grow in our knowledge. We need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God. And we need to continue to pursue him. And it doesn't happen any other way. And so Peter, and you, I just read in chapter 1 where he said, I want to remind you of these things because I'm going to be dying soon. Remember? He's, that was in chapter 1. He said, I'm going to leave this tent of this body as Jesus told me. But I want to do everything I can to remind you of these things. You many times these things is in there? Six times. Six times he says that. Let's look at that. First, it's in verse 4. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm reading from verse 3. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 
through these. Okay, so then you're like going, you better do some digging to find out what it says when it says through these. Because he's saying, I don't want you to forget these things. He repeats it six times. What are these things that you're going to build into your life this year, this week, this month, uh, over the next five years? Are you going to build these things? Because Peter's saying this is his final words, and he's leaving these words to people he loves, and he wants their life to be impacted. So he says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, see that? Through these and through them, he's talking about the same thing. Then you go on down to verse 10, and he says, verse 12, actually it is verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for that if you do these things... Verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things. And even though we can, we can uh, include the next phrase where it says, even though you know them, he's talking about the same thing, these things. Then you have to skip over to verse, um, verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will be able to remember these things. That's number four. Number five. Number six is in chapter three, verse 16. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoops, I forgot. It's up a little further. Verse 16. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking about Paul, speaking in them of these matters. These things, them, these matters, repeated six times there, something pretty significant there. It's your privilege, your duty, your obligation, my privilege, my duty, my obligation to find out these things and sink our hands and our fingers and our hearts and our minds deeply into them. Because if we do, he promised that we won't be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, I, I don't know if that is automatically implying that you could know Jesus and your life could be ineffective and unproductive. Is that what he's implying when he says, if you possess these sins in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through another year ineffective and unproductive. Why be here? Why be on the planet? Why take up space? Why breathe? If we're living a life that's ineffective and unproductive when you need not to, you just say, listen, I'm going to add to my faith this year. I'm going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of 2020, I'll be in a different place. We'll be in a different place. You'll be in a different place. And the people around us will recognize grace and peace and abundance in our life. So when they bump up against us, what will spill out? So I'm thinking, is that, is that what this book is about? This book is about being in a place in your walk with God so that grace and peace spills out of us when people bump up against us in this very difficult world we live in. I can guarantee you if 2020 was a tough year, it's highly possible that 2021 could be tougher. 
You know why? Because you're stronger now. And more things can come onto your plate. More responsibility. More opportunity. More difficulties. Because God tests us to grow us, to display us. Satan tests us to destroy us. But God tests us to display us. So the whole point is growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to take a few minutes just to, again, we're going to look at a couple of the first verses there as we, as we wrap up this morning, just to get introduced into the book. His introduction, and I'm learning this. I haven't appreciated Scripture like I could and like I should appreciate Scripture. But the more I study, the more I realize, wow, each of the phrases and each of the words carry tremendous meaning and why he wrote what he did wrote and how he wrote. So this is the second letter. So when you find something in there, in the, especially in the introduction, the last introduction, he said to God's elect scattered abroad. This one, it says to those who through the grace and righteousness of our God and father have received a faith as precious as ours. Who's though, who are those people? Is this same aliens and strangers that he's writing to now? And now he says, to those who have received a grace as precious as ours. So those, all those matter. And he includes a word in the introduction here, where in First Peter he says, a servant, or he says an apostle, right? Look at First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now he adds another word. He adds the word servant. And it, it carries a big implication, the, the word servant there. It's in the Greek, it's the word doulos. And it's derived from the, a verb which means to bind. And so doulos is a servant, but it's one who is bound to another. And remember Peter? Remember what he boasted one day? Jesus was telling him, I'm going to go to the cross all of you will be scattered. Peter says, not me, Lord. Even if everybody else is chicken, if everybody else runs off, not me, Lord. I'll face death for you. And so there's some progress in Peter's life. And so when he says, Peter, a servant and, and an apostle, he's including this word servant, which is translated many times in the New Testament as slave, but it refers to one. So go back to the introduction there. Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter. He's using both his, his name twice. Basically Simon. He's saying Peter, Peter. Simon Peter. I'm the one that Jesus called the rock. The little rock. A servant. So a servant refers to one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. That's what he's including in this letter now, which wasn't included in the first letter. And I'm thinking, was that, is that a sign of his own growth? Is it a sign of more of his understanding of his relationship with Christ? It refers to one who serves another without regard for his own will and his own desires and his own um, goals. It's one who serves. So Peter's using the term servant, doulos, slave, to show 
not some depravity of being a slave, but the glory of being willing to offer submission to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's come to a place where he's saying, my life is his life. His life is my life. I'm introducing my next letter, Peter says. That's who I am. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. In the Greek culture of Peter's day, the servant served without a choice. He served involuntarily. It wasn't voluntarily. He served involuntarily. The one who served, the one he served owned him or her by birthright or purchase right. The slave had no decision in the matter. Do you remember in 1 Peter when he used the word be submissive several times in several contexts to all the people, not just to husbands? And we ended in chapter 5, humble yourselves. So this idea he's using is servanthood that is choice. He's come to a place where he's a willing servant of Jesus. Paul uses the same term to describe his relationship to Jesus, like Peter. And you use the term in an elevated way. Not in the derogatory way of a slave, but in the way of a bondservant that comes out of the Old Testament. So the word really, if it was truly fully translated, it would say, Peter, a bondservant. And a bondservant was one who served his time. You can look that up in the Old Testament. One who served his time and his master would set him free. He would come to the master and say, listen, I don't want to be free. I'm enjoying my service here. My family is here. And then the, the master would take the servant to the doorpost and mark his ear. Put an owl through the ear. That's where you get, you know, those important papers. Do you call them earmarked? I'll earmark this. That's what it meant. That paper was set aside, that person was set aside for this specific task by their own choice. That's in Exodus 21. You can look it up where the servant says, listen, I want to remain here. I want to remain in your keeping. Paul uses to Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ. Titus says to Titus from Paul, a servant of Christ. Philippians Paul uses the word a servant of Christ. Do you know there's five Greek terms, five Greek words that describe one who serves another, but the bond servant is one who willfully serves. So it makes me think about all the time that Peter involved us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's in Ephesians, Paul said, but throughout his letter, He's talking about a new kind of cooperation coming under the loving authority and the loving command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a person under authority? Are you a person who's willfully cooperating with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? That's what he's saying. That's, he, that's the place he's at. I'll take two more minutes. Just look at the word apostle. <clears throat> An apostle where he says, a servant and apostle. Apostle is one who is sent. And you remember at the end of the Gospel of John, where uh, Jesus was on the shore and he built a fire, 
And the, the men were in the boat, and uh, Jesus called out to them, have you caught any fish? And the disciples just started dawning on them, who is this? It's Jesus. Peter rips off his robe, jumps in the water, right? Or was it vice versa? He took his robe and jumped in the water. But he swam to shore. And then Jesus restores him and says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, three times. And so Jesus called Peter in the beginning to follow him, and he commissioned Peter to go and preach the gospel. This last uh, next verse there, it says, to those who through faith, through the faith, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Father have received a faith that is as precious as ours. I'll close with this. To those who have received a faith as precious as ours. <clears throat> a faith as precious as ours. The phrase there, precious, is included five or six times by Peter. It's not included in the other letters. Those who were scattered from the first, they were aliens and strangers. And Peter saying, listen, you may look up to me like I'm some kind of person with great and mighty faith. But if you put your faith in Christ, you join a community and your faith is as precious as ours. So is he talking about just the apostles when he says, that you've received a faith as precious as ours? Or is he saying ours is in community? The idea is being communicated that um, the faith that they received is a faith that is, it's talking about the worth or the price um, as precious as ours, as valuable as ours, as equal standing as ours. Our faith, your faith, my faith is as great and worthy and honorable and privileged as Peter's faith or the other apostles. Basically, he's saying, listen, there's no second class citizens in the community of faith. If you drink water from Lake Superior, whether you have a cup of water, a pint of water, 10 gallons of water, it's all the same. It's water from Lake Superior. Whether you have little faith, because Jesus said, you have little faith can move mountains. It's not the amount of your faith. It's the quality of the faith. And it's the person that you have faith in that matters. And we're to grow in our faith and we're to add to our faith throughout our life. But our faith isn't less or more valuable in the sense of its quality. Because all faith comes from the same source. It's a gift from God. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. So I'm looking forward to studying Second Peter with you. I'm looking forward to how it will impact my life, and I want to humble myself before the Word of God and study and be diligent to show myself accountable to God and approved by God, as it says in Timothy. That we would be that we would accurately accurately study the word. So I'm encouraging you 
dig into this letter. Take eight minutes out of your day sometime this next week and dig in. And let's enjoy the great meals that we'll have together in Second Peter. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to enjoy and begin a fresh journey in your word. Hearing what you want to tell us through your servant, Peter. Getting to know you, getting to know ourselves better, to understand where we need to humble ourselves before you in the areas of our life where you want to pour out your grace and peace in abundance. And the areas of our life where maybe we need to add, maybe we need to add to our faith knowledge, and to knowledge goodness, and to goodness godliness, and to godliness brotherly love, and to continue to grow in these different areas and character of our faith. And Lord, as we lay this journey before you, we ask you to guide us into a deeper understanding of our personal relationship with you and a deeper understanding of your righteousness and your truth and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. So is the camera, are we done off camera? Okay, so what we've been doing as a, as a practice under the, the new um, 